You're listening to BGN Radio with Brandon Lee Gowton and Jimmy Kemsky. What's going on, everybody? This is BGN Radio, episode number 287. I'm Jimmy Kempsky from jellyvoice.com. With me, as always, is Brandon Lee Galton of bleedinggreennation.com. A little shorter episode here. I'm just going to quickly recap the Eagles-Texans game. Of course, the Eagles play the Texans on Thursday night at the same time as the Phillies. Very disappointing, very unfortunate, uh, just kind of like a just a terrible viewing experience loss in that they didn't play badly. They hit the ball hard a lot, but just the outcome of the ball coming off their bat was not as good as the outcome coming up, coming, coming up the bat of the, of the Tex or the Texans, the Astros uh, Thursday night, very annoying that the NFL and major league baseball couldn't come to some agreement with one of them moving the game. Uh, but so they played at the same time, weird night in Philadelphia sports history. Uh, but anyway, we'll get to the Eagles-Texans recap. But first, what's going on, buddy? How you doing? Jimmy, uh, can't lie. Wind taken out of my sails uh, with that loss. I've been feeling bummed. Uh, because to your point, it was there for the taking. It wasn't like a game they totally, totally just got like you know, shut down. And it was like, okay, they're just the worst team. Mm-hmm. Like If that happens, you're like, okay, that sucks. But at least I can acknowledge that the Phillies just aren't good enough. No, they were good enough. And they just didn't execute. Yeah. It didn't happen for them. Very disappointing. <laughs> it's a worse. It felt worse than the than the game four no hit, which I loss. went to in person, which is just a disaster. They just couldn't get anything going in that game, and oh, you can accept that because they just got they just played badly. Yeah. Uh, whereas game five, they, I think there was just a lot of uh, unluckiness going on in that. In that For game. sure. So I know you know Eagles podcast and everything, but just definitely took the wind out of my sails. Kind of took some of the, uh, I think, juice out of the Eagles win for some. Um, and we'll get into the Eagles win here before. I we do that. I want to mention that DraftKings Sportsbook to me, the presenting sponsor of BGN Radio, with you here for the rest of this season. We had our same game parlay, uh, which has ended up being like Miles Sanders over ninety something rushing yards, uh, uh, Miles Sanders anytime touchdown score. So those two things hit, but the Eagles did not cover, so that one did not hit. I, I put the spread instead of the money line because I thought they should be able to cover, but mm-hmm. they didn't. So I say blame the Eagles for that. But check out DraftKings Sportsbook, download the app and all that. Also, check out Righteous Felon Craft Jerky. Go to RighteousFelon.com, discount code BGN15 for 15% off your order. Makes most sense to start with the defense, I think, Jimmy, after that win I think over so, yeah. the Texans, where um, kind of a weird game, just as a, a whole, quick like overview of the game. Um, they're tied at halftime. You're kind of like, eh, like that's that's not great. Uh, Jake Elliott misses that, what, 54-yard field goal, which is certainly a makeable kick for him, especially in a dome. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, hmm, a little uneasy. Never for me at a point where I thought the Eagles were seriously going to lose, but it wasn't feeling as comfortable as it should have for sure, especially with the Texans missing Brandon Cooks and Nico Collins, their top yeah. two receivers. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, you know, they, they find a way. They pull through. They win by 12. Um, they've never trailed at halftime this year. They have led by at least 12 points in every single game. So certainly still a good team. Uh, but there is some easy uneasiness, and I felt like the defense is where that uneasiness was being uh, – where it derived from. Yeah, I mean, so the biggest issue that the defense has had this year has been tackling. Uh, we And we mentioned this 
we mentioned this in the preview to this game. Like the only way that this game can go badly is if they don't tackle well, because Damian Pierce is a, is a running back who can run through arm tackles breaks. He's been like, really, he's been the one player on the Texans offense that you really have to be concerned about this year. Uh, Brandon cooks aside, who, again, as you mentioned, didn't play. Um, then additionally, what we mentioned in the preview is that they live near the line of scrimmage uh, in their passing game. They are totally ineffective uh, in the intermediate areas of the field. They will take the occasional deep shot, which was kind of not going to happen <laughs> for the most part. Once Brandon Cooks was out, they did hit one to Philip Dorsett on the double move uh, against James Bradbury. There's another time where he got wide open when he was being covered by Kayvon Wallace. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the most part, like like we suggested prior to the start of the game, was they were going to throw the ball near the line of scrimmage all day long. And they did that um, as sort of an extension of their run game. And the Eagles struggled tackling like they did week one uh, against Detroit, like they did week whatever it was, five, I think, against the Cardinals. And uh, there, there have been other games where they haven't tackled great. I know that you've mentioned, uh, like, I guess the the sites that track the, you know, the number of missed tackles mm-hmm. uh, for each game that are high and a few other games. But those are the two games that really stood out to me. And now you can add this one uh, to that mix because they didn't tackle well. And they the Texans really found a lot of success running it right up the gut which is where Jordan Davis normally resides on those, you know, early rundowns. Uh, initially they had, um, they, they had Tui uh, playing in the middle and they had um, uh, big Marv playing in the middle at times. Wilson. Eventually they adjusted and they started putting Hargrave uh, over the nose tackle or excuse me uh, at, at the nose tackle spot over the center. And uh, they started had, having more success stopping the run after they did that. But there were, there's some concern areas I think going forward with just the just generally speaking in terms of tackling and their run defense has, I mean, even before this game, they're averaging, they're allowing an average of 5.0 yards mm-hmm. per rush, which is like, again, we've nitpicked little things throughout the season about the defense. And then, you know, after you nitpick it, you kind of take a step back and you go, Oh, okay. Well they, they forced two or three turnovers and they only gave up 14 points or 15, or, you know, 17 points, you know, 10, whatever. And like you go, okay, well, overall, I guess it was pretty good. Uh, but I think this nitpick in particular is a valid one. Like they they all, they have gotten gotten gashed uh, in the run game quite a bit uh, this year, and and I think against this team where that's the only thing that they had going for them, uh, you, you you would have preferred to see a, a better effort against the run. The Eagles are the worst team in the NFL according to PFF's tackling grade. They have a category that's just like. Oh, tackling, are they? Okay. Um, well, that, that makes which, sense. Yeah. So, you know, always PFF take it for what it's worth, but it's also very unsurprising to see that that's the case. It certainly matches the eye test. I think about that Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who he had a pick, and obviously he leads the NFL interceptions with five. And, I, and mm-hmm. it's, it's funny because some of those, again, I think have been about being in the right place at the right time, more so than, and not in like in a way where like an amazing play. I mean, this was a great catch by him, but as much as some of it's been, I think, fortuitous as well. It's a good mix of both, although he does have a track record of getting his hands on the ball. But I I can't stop thinking about that one play where Damian Pierce, I believe, he breaks into the like the second level and Johnson Garner Johnson runs over in just almost like as if he was it was almost as if uh Damian Pierce was near the sideline, like in Chauncey Garner Johnson's mind, and like the safety was just trying to push him out. Except he wasn't, he was like at the hash mark. So you're just like pushing yeah. him in the open field. It's not going to do anything. Like, oh, yeah, it's kind of like a hockey. Yeah, like, what was the point of that? Like, it's right? what, what do you think you're yeah, going to accomplish yeah. with that? Um, <laughs> so, uh, and I'm not just trying to pick on him. I think you know, obviously, poor tackling as a whole 
concerning from a standpoint of, I don't really know what you do about that. You know, maybe that's a trade-off of the later training camps. I don't know. But I also think it's just that they don't necessarily have amazing tacklers on the team. And I don't know how much of that can really be coached up, I guess, in my mind. Um, maybe there needs to be a more concerted effort towards gang tackling. Because if you're not good at it, Solo, like every like everyone needs to really, especially like rally to the ball and make sure you can get guys down mm-hmm. and don't just take don't take it for granted that the one guy who's there is going to get that guy. Um, so maybe there's some of that going on, but yeah, certainly a concern. I would say that Jordan Davis being out was certainly a significant deal, and I, I think it would not be giving him credit if you're just going to say that the Eagles should have no drop off. At the same time. I do not buy that Jordan Davis being out alone excuses like Jonathan Gannon for the run defense being as bad as it was. Like, no, he has to mm-hmm. have better answers there. And clearly he was trying some things out in the game, as you mentioned. Um, but I don't know if it's as simple as you can just run what you were with Jordan Davis and plugging in uh, other guys at that spot other than Hargrave and those five-man fronts. You might have to get more creative and figure, figure it out. Like, that's what a defensive coordinator is supposed to do. It's not just about, like, it's, it can't just be about the players. You have to... Take what you have, the players you do have available, and figure it out. Because there's enough talented players on this defense that I feel like the run defense shouldn't be this bad. It shouldn't be like this quite uh, porous, and they shouldn't be struggling this much. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I mean, I think like they they were fortunate to be playing this bad of a team on Thursday night. When you look down the road at teams they might have to face in the playoffs, for example, you look at a team like... San Francisco, for example, that has a very good running, running, you know, rushing attack. They just traded for Christian McCaffrey, so that they're you know more threat, they're even more threatening in, on the run game with him. And then you have all these guys that are you know run after catch, uh, just beasts in guys like Debo and Kittle and Ayuk. That's a team that would that would worry me, <laughs> like if uh, if I'm the Eagles, if I have to play them in the playoffs, and then to a lesser degree, like Dallas with uh, their two-headed monster in, in Zeke and, and Tony Pollard, who's playing really well. So, um, yeah, like I said, they're, they're fortunate that that they were only playing the Houston Texans uh, on Thursday night. And uh, well, I'm sorry, what, what were you asking me? What what, what I agreed on uh, in terms like, of... Like, Gannon needs to figure out answers. It can't just be like, well, Jordan Davis isn't here, so yeah. they can't defend the run. No, like, figure it out. Like, f- adjust. Do something different where you have a better solution. It can't... That's my th- and Jordan Davis is just one guy right. too. So if he's having an off day or they're just running, they're not running right up the gut. <laughs> like then, like I remember the San Francisco game. Just to mention them again, the Eagles had the uh, the interior of their line bottled up in that Week Two game last year, and San Francisco adjusted by running to the edge, and that gave the Eagles a lot of problem, a lot of problems in that game. So yeah, it's not just one guy. They, they, I'm, I'm with you that they do have to have a better plan. Uh, going forward against these teams that run the ball well. It also kind of speaks to a larger point, and Shul, our good friend Shul Kapadia brought this up at one point, where I keep coming back to it. Like uh, Jonathan Gannon deserves credit for getting results, yes. I am not, mm-hmm. I, I'm question, I question if the defensive improvement is really about him as much as it is the talent that was added to the roster. Mm-hmm. So, and to put it another way, I think he, uh, the Eagles defensive improvement might say more about Howie Roseman than it does Jonathan Gannon. And um, I think that's fair. Yeah. So I think that's something to continue to monitor. And on the Howie point, I feel like you should probably get into this. I'm sure you saw the clip of him uh, on the sideline <laughs> where he came over to a, a, an Eagle fan who had a sign. And it was not me, by the way, <laughs> who had the sign. Um, I feel like this is uh, a, <laughs> <laughs> an interaction that Howie and I could have had. I'm sure many people feel the same way at some point uh, where the sign said like, Howie, you are forgiven. And it had AJ Brown's name 
uh, on it, and it had like JGR Thicket, Whiteside's name, and Rager and Aguilar all crossed out. And how he came over, and he's like, "I'm forgiven, like forgiven you, your first Super Bowl, like f you." <laughs> Uh, right. and, uh, what did you make of that? Cause I think I've, I've seen different takes on this. Uh, I think it's fine. I, <laughs> I think it shows, uh, I mean, he, I think I like how he for doing that. It's, uh, and I would think it was done in a half mm, joking manner, half. but also, but also that sign probably, but first of all, that sign, uh, I've, I've actually discussed this sign, this sign off offline with, uh, with friends. Mm. That sign was so stupid to mm. begin with. Like first of all, he didn't draft Aguilar. Uh, that was during the chip full. He did extend year. it. And he by did, the way, he did pick Ag- up his fifth year option though. Aguilar helped bring this team a Super sure. Bowl. Like he was a he was a major factor, not only in the game during the Super Bowl, but made a lot of plays. He had eight touchdowns. A lot of them of the long, like a big play yeah. variety uh, on during that twenty seventeen. I think season. people. He in my mind is not really like a bust anymore. Like he he. Even if it was only for one year, he was a big factor sure. in that year in the Eagles. And it was Bowl. also a bad decision to then, pay him nine point four million dollars in twenty nineteen. Okay. It was. It was a terrible decision. Yeah. All right. So yeah. So if they had put like Alshon Jeffrey, if like if that guy had written Alshon Jeffrey's contract extension and then put a cross, put an X through that, I might respect him more. But also, like, who have you ever heard refer to J Jaw as just Whiteside? <laughs> Which is what the sign said. The sign just said white side mm-hmm. and had an X through it. Like, like what a what a garbage sign that wow. guy made. But anyway, as far as how he goes, yeah, I mean, it was kind of done in a joking manner, mm-hmm. but also I think that sign did bother him. And I don't have a problem with him going up and, and mixing it up with with a with you know some some fan with a sign. It's fine, but and it's on the road, so like it's not like he's in front of like a big you know Eagles crowd or whatever. I don't know when did he actually do that. Like prior what point to the game, the game did that happen? It was before the sure. game. Okay. So I think um, I saw it circulating so, during the game. I mean, he's a human being. <laughs> like he, uh, it's, you know, I think for the most part, uh, he's made good moves. Uh, he's made phenomenal. He's like a shoe in, in my opinion, for executive yeah, year this year with the team that he has assembled uh, this off season. So, I mean, he came back and even last year, he had a good off season as well after three very down <laughs> right. uh, off seasons. Uh, from 2018, 2019, and 2020. He was very good in 2021. He was awesome in 2022. Um, so, you know, I, I think he does his best to, you know, make the team as good as it can be. And it's, a, you know, a weird thing ha- kind of happens with fans and like uh, players or coaches or whatever from championship teams. Guys that like play or like coach on championship teams are like legends for life. But if you're a GM, you don't get that same for life respect mm. in a way. You know what I mean? Like how he kind of hasn't gotten that. And uh, I get it. Like you, when you're a fan of a team and you do something that the the main decision maker, the, the main decision maker does something rather that you don't agree with. A lot of people get mad at that. So like uh, I get it. But uh yeah, I don't have a problem with him uh, with him going up and, and and mixing it up with that fan. But what, what are you? Where do you fall? I don't have at? a problem with it. Um, and obviously, you know, the Eagles are eight and zero, or we're seven and zero at the time when it guess for I guess first got posted. So obviously, people and how he's done great. So people are going to be like, they're going to like it. It's funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think Howie Roseman is above reproach just because he helped the Eagles win the Super Bowl. 
Like he had, he did have bad years. Like you just said, multiple years after that season. And I, I would argue potentially squandered a chance for another title, or at least getting a lot closer to another one um, with a lot of bad decisions by him. And like bad decisions that clearly stand out in contrast now to the good ones that he's made, like the good moves that he's made more recently make those bad moves in the past, like stand out even more, not to say that we need to, you know, crucify him for those things. But I'm just saying, like, at the time, I think people would try to argue, oh, his moves weren't so bad. No, they clearly were. There clearly were a lot of bad or at least non-impact moves by comparison to the ones he's made this offseason, especially. So and to a bigger point, my whole thing with Howie, my whole like ethos on Howie is that he's at his best when he's humbled and everyone's doubting him and he has to prove people wrong. And he's kind of like motivated to kind of get back at the haters, clap back at the haters, if you will. Uh-huh. But he's been at his worst when like he's been cocky like this. And he's been, I, yeah. I, I think the the common thread. He's smelling himself a little exactly, bit right now. The common, sure. and look, he, t- he deserves <laughs> the credit to to do that. But at the same level, he needs to have the right perspective of like, because you know, I think the common thread in a lot of those moves post-Super Bowl were that he did know better than everyone else. There was such hubris. It was mm-hmm. Every move was dripping with hubris. And there were so many, how many moves were like, <laughs> oh, we're just going to bring our guys back. That's, that would just run it back and no new ideas and all those, those kind of things. So um, I would hope that it doesn't backslide into that. I think that is the potential downside that, that lays out there is that he kind of does get a little too full of himself and thinks he can't miss, whereas the humbling kind of checks him and forces him to, uh, I think, uh, want to prove everyone wrong and be better. Uh, so that's that's kind of the double-edged sword I see there. Um, but I just wanted to bring that up. Les Bowen had uh, done a post about him, that that thing on Facebook uh, and mentioned that, um, like, I don't remember if we've talked about this on the podcast before, but after Super Bowl 52, Howie Roseman was in the locker room and kind of uh, talking to reporters in a way where, like, you know, uh, like, F you guys. Not, I don't know if he literally said that, but that kind of that energy, like, you know, like, cause you know how how he was aware. I didn't see that. I didn't see that. Les posted that. That's I'm gonna have yeah. to read that. But that's true. Yeah. That that yeah. did happen. I I I have also heard that. that. Yes. So um, you know, <laughs> I just I I think I never told I never told that story. But yeah. That's funny that Let's put it Les, out there. That Les posted so that. <laughs> uh, I uh, I just I would hope that Howie does get humbled at some point. I mean, not like he hasn't been before, but I mean, I I hope he keeps centered at some point. And also, like, kind of prioritizes the thing that matters. Like, the fan doesn't, that fan with the sign doesn't matter. The beat reporters don't matter. Like, don't, don't worry about those guys too much. Like, you know, do what you do well, and then, you know, everything will be good. So, uh, just thought that was an interesting thing that came up. That was directed at specific people, by the way. Sure. But, uh, that's all I'm going to say okay. about that. <laughs> anyway, uh, we talked about the bad things on the defense. Let's mention some good things. Um, you had mentioned on the last podcast that J- Javon Hargrave yeah. is a guy that, gets hot and can get cold. And right now he's red hot. He has five sacks in the last two games. Uh, What do you have one? I think in the first five games Um, or six games. Yeah. Six games. Yeah. Uh, So he had two against, who did they play last? Steelers. Steelers against his whole team. And then uh, three, not only did he have three sacks against Houston, he almost had a fourth and he, these weren't getting sacks. Like these weren't like, you know, uh, guy just you know wandered into Javon Hargrave's arms and he pulled it like he won with power. He put a guy on roller skates, crushed him on that play, uh, sacked uh, Davis Mills. Another one he just beat the center, bang like right off yep. the snap. 
sacked him again. Another play where he won his rep for sure. It wasn't like your traditional, like, get there fast in the pocket kind of sack, but Davis Mills uh, broke the pocket. And then uh, Hargrave chased him down. That guy could, if you look at, if you were to see that guy in, in Wawa, you would go, that guy's not a professional athlete. <laughs> like, but he could, that guy, for how like sh- short ish he is, I guess, for a squatty. defensive lineman and squatty as he is, he can move, dude. Like, when is Who's this? Calling oh, it's Kristen Roach from Roach. Did Roach you say when me. is this? Uh, I said, what is this? I said, when is this? My phone number. I never have my ringer on uh, lately because I have an Apple Watch. So my Apple Watch will uh, vibrate. I don't need the ringer to be on. So I don't know why my ringer was on. Anyway. Do you know who Fred Durst is? Getting back to Hargrave. I do. Do you know? So, you know, like Limp Bizkit? Why do you ask? I feel like I'm, I'm like, I'm looking yeah. at myself mm-hmm. right now because I'm wearing a Phillies hat backwards and I'm wearing the red cap. You do look a little bit like Limp Bizkit. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, <laughs> you do look I don't a know if like I love Fred, that. Fred. I said you look like Limp Bizkit. Yeah. You do look the whole band. Like yeah. Durst. Not just Fred Durst. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Hargrave stud on uh, Thursday night. And then we should also mention, you mentioned CJ yeah. DJ for that bad tackle, but he did have that. He makes very good catches. Sure. On his that was a great catch. Like a lot of them have been, a lot of them have been a result of you know quarterback getting hit or like against the Steelers, it was a tipped pass mm-hmm. by TJ Edwards that went over the receiver. Oh yeah, and he's just that was all TJ. But he's making, I mean, he is finishing on these plays. He had a great catch against Dallas on that that, that diving catch. Uh, that I mean, that could have been a touchdown to see to CD Lamb if uh, Cooper Rush hadn't gotten hit. Instead, it turns into an interception by CJ GJ. He's got a, a he he did have uh he was tied for the league lead in interceptions four heading into this game. Now he's got sole possession with uh five interceptions. And you look back at the trade mm-hmm. that the aforementioned Howie Roseman made for mm-hmm. this guy, he gave up almost nothing yeah. for C, for Chauncey Gardner Johnson. It's crazy the two dumbass trades that the Saints made. Uh, with the Eagles, first the you know the pick swaps where the Eagles get an extra one next year, extra two in 2024, and they get CJ GJ for basically nothing, and he's been one of their best players. On yeah, teams. absolutely. I mean, that catch was I thought great. Uh, shout out to Brandon Graham who helped create it, uh, kind of forced Davis Mills yep. to step up in the pocket and then throw with his feet like not set underneath him there, um, which is why that ball came out weird. And CJ GJ was able to make the play and a decent return on it too. You know, just was able to get up and mm-hmm. um, get some extra yards there. Didn't just, you know, lay on the ground. So like to see that uh, definitely credit to him. Flawed player again, like not going to be a great as a tackler. I think we've just seen that enough to know that's not a strength of his, um, but he can make plays. And again, it's not just like, I know some of them have been fortuitous this year, like we talked about, but, he has a track record of doing that. Like he's a track record of getting his hands on the ball. So it's not just like, it's not like, you know, he's had zero interceptions in every season. And then this year he just happens to have a bunch. Like this is a guy who makes plays and gets his hand on the ball. And I think you'll take that. And I think that is, that, that portends well to him probably being like a long-term piece here. I think that's something that's someone the mm-hmm. Eagles would want to resign. I know they have a lot of free agents and we'll certainly be talking about that um, throughout the year. And then after the season about, you know, which players are, long for the roster and which ones aren't, but I think uh, I would lean towards him being one of those, one who is not, um, sorry to take it back to negative, but Fletcher Cox, I think he is an issue here with like some of the run defense and someone you would like to see more mm-hmm. out of, especially with Davis not here, um, has not exactly been filling up the stat sheets, Jimmy. He has two quarterback hits, one tackle for loss and zero sacks in his last five games combined. 
he's making top 10 interior defensive line money this year, like on the mm-hmm. contract that he's on, not to mention the dead money um, that he's accounting for because the Eagles cut him and everything. So I feel like that's not getting talked about a lot because um, he, he kind of had a, a nicer start to the year. And I was like, oh, maybe Fletcher Cox isn't totally washed up. But recently, man, like, I don't know. And he's asked to play more snaps, too, because of Davis out. And that's that's uh, uh, Hargrave and Cox both played their third highest snap count of the season uh, percentage wise this year with Davis out. So they're going to have to like rely more on him. And I just don't think you're getting that production. Um, but the last defensive note, or so two more quick defensive notes that I had. Um, Robert Quinn only played seven snaps, which is a little curious kind of mm-hmm. low. Uh, I wonder if that had anything to do with him. Like he, so, you know, we talked about how he went from Monday to Sunday last week, short week, cause he played on Monday with the bears. Uh, and then he had to go Sunday to Thursday this week. So that's two, you know, pretty short weeks. So I wonder if that was kind of trying to monitor him and, and uh, you know, mm-hmm. go easy on him. Uh, everyone's, I, I think, noted that he kind of drew a double team on, I think it was Hargrave's first sack there. Like two two uh, Texans okay. offensive linemen like went straight for him and that afforded Hargrave like a one-on-one and he beat his guy there. So uh, you can give him some credit for that. And the last thing I had, I, I'm throwing a lot at you here, but why is Kayvon Wallace on the field? <laughs> <laughs> like what is that? Why is he out there? So I had actually seen um, Ben Solak of uh, former yeah UGN I saw radio that fame, where he showed a couple nice plays that the Kayvon made. There's one that I haven't seen anyone show yet, and I haven't had a chance to to look it up uh, on the All 22 yet. I don't even know if the All 22 was available yet, but um, on the play where Kaiser White got called for holding, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was in the Eagles red zone. Yeah. <clears throat> excuse me um on that same play he was covering philip dorsett who broke wallace. toward the corner wallace was, was covering dorsett you're saying yeah wallace was covering yeah it was covering philip dorsett and dorsett broke toward the corner and he was dusted mm-hmm. like like he was dorsett was going to be wide the hell open for like the easiest touchdown ever and wallace just grabbed his jersey and held on for dear life for a while too, like Dorsett was trying to get away as he as he was continuously being held, and Dorsett was sure that when he turned around there was going to be a flag there, and there's they didn't throw a flag on it at all, which is crazy because I saw it clear as day from like from like a hundred yards away, and they just mm-hmm. didn't throw a flag on it. Dorsett was like incredulous and furious that uh, there was no flag on that play, but I found that 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 I found that funny that that play that he didn't get flagged on it. Same result. Like it was just a holding call on Kaiser White mm-hmm. instead, uh, but so yeah, he played a fair amount in this game, right? I think it was, it was his like, highest snap. Did he seventeen snaps or, or something? It was like his that? highest of the season, or, unrelated to injury, because he played a bit in the Cowboys game. I think it was with CJ DJ getting okay. hurt, but like just well, maybe it wasn't uh, unrelated to injury because uh, Avante Maddox has been a little banged mm-hmm. up lately, and his snap counts were down. So I don't know if it's a matter of they were playing him more and well, Maddox Kaiser less. was up though too. I'd have to see how much how much they were on the same on the field at the same I don't, time. I just think they used less nickel because the Texans didn't have good receivers and they they were trying yeah, to run the ball. True. Kaiser had his one of his higher snap counts, I think his highest uh, of the of the season. So I think they were just using more two linebackers there. Yeah. Um, I wanted to get back to CJGJ sure. for a second because I did say I did say a little bit ago, uh, you know, he's he's been one of their best defensive players. And that's true of late, to be clear, of late. He's been one of their best defensive players. Being a part of the season, he was sort of like one of their concerned mm-hmm. players of ours because he was transitioning from a role with New Orleans where he was playing mostly like in the slot and in the box. 
and he was transitioning into a role with the Eagles where he's going to be playing a lot more, you know, free safety type roles. Um, but con- less concerning mm-hmm. now because he is playing a lot better uh, in that role. And I think that's a great sign for, you know, the Eagles secondary, you know, in the back half of this season, which has already been phenomenal. He, CJGJ, that is, Darius Slay and James Bradbury, all Bradbury, of course, had an interception in this game, mm-hmm. by the way, on a side note. He did give up the the play that I mentioned earlier where he got beat on a double move by Philip. That, that should have been a say, touchdown. That was be a touchdown with a better throw. It's a bad throw, and Dorsett made a great mm-hmm. catch on that. Like that could have been incomplete, but he made a great catch on that. Um, but he did have an interception, uh, made up for that uh double move play on and that that play pretty much ended the game at that point. But Bradbury Slay and CJGJ all have three interceptions. The last time the Eagles had Three players with three interceptions over the course of an entire season was 2017. Hmm. So uh, it's been Patrick sort of Robinson, a uh, not sort of, I mean, Ronnie McLeod. There were four players. Uh, I don't remember who they were. Jalen okay, Mills. But there were four players that had maybe. I don't remember, but there were there were four players that had at least three interceptions during that again over the course of the full season. One of them had four, and the other three guys had three. Um, so interceptions in bulk. Have not been I mean, the Eagles' defense as a whole just haven't gotten interceptions in bulk, and, and they're getting them this year, uh, obviously, which is uh, a great sign again for their chances of making a deep playoff run. Of course, the 2017 Eagles turned it over a ton or forced a you know a ton of turnovers, uh, as this team is. As, by the way, the Eagles in every game so far, we mentioned this in the last podcast, have not only just like tied uh, on turnover differential, they've actually mm-hmm. won the turnover battle in every single game. And uh, and th- that was the case again this week, uh, although Jalen Hurts lost. We'll get to mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts uh, on the offensive side of the podcast, but he is he is first fumble lost of the season. But again, two uh, interceptions in this game, and they just continue to, to force opposing offenses into mistakes. All right, let's take a break here, Jimmy, but not before we hear about Kristen Roach of Roach Realtors and RoachRealtors.com. You can find Kristen Roach, text or call her. She just tried to call mm. me, and I had to I had to mute her. Um, but you can reach her at 856-906-9295. Again, 856-906-9295. Or as Brandon mentioned, you can reach her at roachrealers.com if you are looking to buy or sell your home. Brandon? Back after this. Back here on BGN Radio, Brandon Lee Gowton, Jimmy Kemsky, in case you didn't remember who was talking to you here. Um, Jimmy, let's flip over to the offense where Jalen Hurts, uh, who you just mentioned, did turn the ball over. So I think the Eagles should cut him. Do you agree? <laughs> yeah, get that bum out of town. immediately. First lost fumble by the team, not just Jalen Hurts, too. You, you said it was the, his first lost fumble, wasn't it? It's, I think it was the team's first lost fumble this year. Which is pretty crazy. That, that's right. I think that's right because Miles haven't hasn't had any. Mm-hmm. Britton Covey had the one muff, but sure. they were able to get back on top of that. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's the fir- they've been fortunate a couple times, but um, Miles Sanders hasn't fumbled at all, which is uh, <laughs> knock on wood. Sort of against n- not on brand for him, <laughs> but so far so good uh, on his season so far. They've been very good in ball security, both you know forcing turnovers on on defense and and not turning it over. And Jalen Hurts has been great making good decisions with his throws uh, down the field, but also in protecting the football. 
Um, the the one that he that he lost was kind of a weird play because he was not a, he was in, he was in shotgun. He was not expecting the snap to come yeah. when it came and it came early and he caught it cleanly. Uh, but I think that bad not bad snap, but uh, it hit him right in the chest. But the early snap by Jason Kelsey, I don't know who was at fault on that play for for that early snap. Uh, but I think that kind of messed up. Mm-hmm. The, that play was kind of racked immediately. Yeah. It threw off the timing. Uh, and they, the Tex- I forget who got home exactly on the Texans, but he forced a fumble on that. And, of course, they they recovered. Eagles were down minus one in the turnover differential in the game uh, at that point. Uh, but, yeah, first one of the year, I think we can forgive him for that one through eight games. Yeah, the other one was a little dicey. I mean, I, I get he was trying to get the first down on that final, was it like third and 15 mm-hmm. or whatever? Um, he got 14 yards or whatever it was, a yard short. But like, I don't think they lose the game, yeah, even the if game. he loses that. But, geez, <laughs> right. I mean, he was very fortunate that Jason Kelsey was right there yeah. to, to jump on that. That was a huge deal. Um, yeah. I didn't have a problem with the Eagles going for it at the end there. I, I did. Why did Sirianni call a timeout? Why did he ice his own team at the end there? I'm not sure what you're didn't referring Didn't he call a timeout? To. I think at that point in the game, I was okay. very – I was – I was I was taking uh, probably a harder look at the okay. Phillies game, which I had on my daughter's iPad. So it was the penultimate <laughs> so not, play of the I'm not sure you're penultimate about. play of the game where like they lined up to sneak it and then they went like the play ran and they got it, but Sirianni had called a timeout before they snapped it, which is weird because like oh, okay, if, if that was like a bigger opponent in a bigger game, that would have been insane because he like iced his own offense. Okay, because the second play, yeah, yeah, which yeah, ended yeah. up being the game winning play, like. I mean, they marked him ahead, and I guess he did get it. But that was a lot closer. The other one was, like, very definitive from the jump. Um, so I thought that was a little weird. Um, but I will give Nick Sirianni credit for going for two. I like that. It's not like he needed to. But, you know, in the situation mm-hmm. where you can get an extra point, um, uh, or that's not the right phrase, I guess, because you didn't really get the extra point. If you can get one more point than usual uh, by going for two for the one-yard line, I always love that. And I love that that play design there too. Or there, or yeah, the, all the pre yeah. snap nonsense. They had Cam Jurgens motion out to the slot. Like that was great. That was like, oh, what's that? Oh, look. By the way, it doesn't matter. We're just going to shove into the end zone. Uh, and they did that at one point in this game too, where they had another fake sneak where uh, instead of just diving into the pile like Hertz usually does, he like ran off tackle like to the, to the left and was able to get some yardage. And I like that because like if a defense isn't playing that as honestly, because they, they might not, because they might all focus and draw into the sneak at one point, mm-hmm. he could ran for a touchdown on that play. Like if, if one defender like cheats a little bit more than they should. So uh, I like that a lot. Um, definitely think, you know, the coaching did some good things. Once again, we saw some of those things out of the bye that was encouraging. Um, but beyond the coaching, I mean, just the talent on this team offensively, like Hertz didn't even have like a, like a highlight game, right? Like it wasn't like lighting right. it up left and right, I would say, but 21, yeah, 21 to 27 for 243, nine yards per attempt, two touchdowns, zero interceptions, uh, and 128.9 pass rating. Just like great game. Didn't put the ball in harm's way. Yeah. I think one thing the that, uh, that you and I have, I'm sorry. Didn't again. put the ball in harm's way as a thrower. That's what I meant to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you and I have sort of uh, wanted to see him take the next step as a as a guy that can win not just with his legs but from the pocket. And uh, the first five games of the season, he rushed sixty eight times, which is thirteen point six times per game. Last three games, twenty rushes, six point seven per game. And now during that three game stretch where he hasn't run the ball much, uh, he is fifty five of eighty. Uh, as a passer, which is close to 70%, uh, 683 yards, 
which is 10.5 yards per attempt, which is outstanding. And then he's got eight touchdowns, zero interceptions, and a 128.3 passer rating. So he is playing extremely well um, while also not using his legs as a crutch. So, yeah, I think he's becoming more and more polished as a complete quarterback uh, each, you know, as, as this season. And it's worth noting, of course, the last two opponents that are, are the Texans and the Steelers. Mm-hmm. So we're not talking about, you know, high level uh, defenses here. But one of those opponents was, of course, mm-hmm. the Cowboys, which is. Um, so but, you know, give him all the credit in the world for for honestly being wanting to be great yeah. <laughs> at, at football in the NFL. And I think that uh, point kind of gets undersold a little bit at times. But he wants to be great and he tries, you know, to get better every day of his life. And uh, I think we're starting to see not starting to see we, we've seen the results of that uh, all throughout this season. Yeah, and he's really uh, fought his way back into the MVP race. Not that that matters relative to team success, ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. But um, because for a while there, the passing numbers had kind of gone down, uh, especially if the Eagles doing a lot of that short game passing stuff. Uh, I still think if the season ended today, Josh Allen's probably still your MVP. But yep. I mean, Hertz is like he's made up some ground, and if they just keep winning, yep. Josh Allen has like a bad week here or there. It's one or two that might be enough for Hertz to kind of overtake him if Hertz can kind of continue at this clip, which I think there's every reason to believe he can. Um, I was certainly the, I've been a big Jalen Hurts skeptic in the past when it came to passing ability. I never doubted the you know intangibles or anything like that. Um, but uh, and I think we've seen just how much these intangibles matter. I think it's really cool. I brought this up before how he's a leader on this team. I think that's special. You don't see many teams with quarterbacks who are like the guy. Like you think of um, yeah. quarterbacks that way, but like Carson Wentz is never in the middle of the locker room, like breaking everyone down and, and like, you know, like, and that's mm-hmm. fine. I don't think guys have to be that way to be clear. You don't have to be that way to be a good quarterback, but I think it's even more special when they are. So I give Hertz a lot of credit there too. And just being like just the, the leader of this team um, going to the running game. The Eagles were poised to dominate on the ground because the Texans run defense is so yeah. bad as we highlighted prior right. to the game. And sure enough, Miles Sanders, 17 for 93. I mean, a lot of things just looked easy for him. The offensive line was opening like massive holes for him to just run through. Huge holes in that game, at least from my vantage yeah. point, uh, up from up high in the press box. I, I haven't, again, like I said, I haven't rewatched this game yet or, or looked at the all 22 or anything like that, but it looked like there were huge holes. So I'm curious to see if Miles and, Kenny Gamewell and Boston Scott didn't make the most of the holes that were open for them. But I'm surprised they didn't run the ball more than yes. they did because this Texans defense, they were before heading into this game, they were allowing 186 yards uh, per game on the ground, which is just absolutely atrocious. Um, in the last 20 years, the the team that has the worst, um, you know, average per game, uh, you know, rush defense was the 2008 mm-hmm. Lions. I think it was like 107 or excuse, not, not 107, 171 yards per game that they were allowing. So this was, you know, potentially historically bad Texans run defense. And uh, yeah, I expected them to come out running a little bit more than they did. They still ran it a fair mm-hmm. amount. Uh, but, and, and when they did run it, like I said, they, they were opening, you were like you said, rather, they were opening just enormous holes uh, in that Texans defense. Um, Miles Sanders had that one weird play where he went to a knee and the Texans defender just kind of touched mm-hmm. him. And that wound up being like a loss of two or three to cost a yeah. punt instead of what would have been a first down otherwise. Um, so, you know, maybe I think there's there's reason to maybe. Be, and again, I got to w- actually watch it to know this for sure. But 
I think maybe the running backs didn't make enough of I, the opportunities that were in front I of them. I agree with that. And I, I actually was curious about that as well. And I looked up um, NFL next gen stats. They have a metric that I've mentioned before called rushing yards over expected. Um, so, you know, what a running uh-huh. back reasonably could have gotten uh, measured against that uh, to some degree. I don't know exactly how they do that, but they do. And uh, Sanders was not high up on that. So certainly I think there is a case. Okay. It wasn't like he was terrible, but he was not like great. So he certainly did not. Okay. I don't think he like, yeah, fully maximized what he could have done, but still good game. I think relatively for him uh, in the running attack, I do agree that, you know, the offense, it's hard to quibble about them too much because I mean, in the first half touchdown on their first drive, then they had the fumble. Okay. Kind of just bad luck, miscommunication, another touchdown. Um, by the way, that first touchdown drive, I wanted to touch real quickly on that 18 plays, 91 yards. That was such, like such a good answer to that Texans first drive yeah. where it was kind of like, Oh man, like, what the heck? The Texans are up 7-0? Like, shouldn't the Eagles be crushing this team? And the offense just comes out, <laughs> puts a master class drive together, and it's like, oh, okay, they're fine. Um, so yeah. uh, first four drives in the first half, touchdown, the fumble, another touchdown, and then they missed that field goal, which they did, the offense did a good job, I thought, to get in position to sure. attempt. Yeah, getting them in position. Yeah, that field sure. goal. Yeah. Um, by the way, Jake makes that. Eagles cover. So come on, Jake, what are you doing here? Because uh, <laughs> they would have been at 15, and it was a 14 or 13 and a half point spread, depending on where you took it. But the second half, yeah, they came out with two, three and outs. And at that point, it was like, uh, and then the first play of the second half, uh, the Eagles were kind of, uh, they were there at the 17 and Hertz got sacked. And it was like, okay, like, why are we passing coming out of the second half? Like, run the ball. Um, uh, and then they mm-hmm. did run on that second drive there. Uh, where, you, as you mentioned, Sanders was down. So they actually did come out running on that one, but it just didn't work out for them. Uh, but ultimately got it together, and the offense was just fine. Uh, I want to get into the receiving, the receivers here. Uh, Dallas Goddard. <laughs> We've been saying it all year long that this dude is just crazy efficient. Uh, I saw you in yeah. your recap called him like the most one of the most efficient players in the NFL. He has... 30 receptions on 40 targets this year. He had eight receptions on nine targets for 100 yards, one touchdown against the Texans. Texans just had no answer for him. They couldn't stop him. I think it's 40 on 50. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're right. 40 sorry, catches sorry. on 50 yeah, I knew targets. it was 10, yeah. 10 by 10. You're right. Yeah, 40 on yeah. 50, which is like 80, crazy. 80% completion percentage when they <laughs> That's go crazy. his way. Like, <laughs> if you throw it to Dallas Goddard, something good is going to happen. And it's not that like it's and you know a decent number of his catches are near the line of scrimmage. The screen game to him has been very sure. effective. Um, so a lot of those catches are you know I'm, they're going to be higher percentage, but they're also getting the ball down the field yeah. to him because he's averaging over ten yards per target. He was he was number one tight end in the NFL last year. I think it was ten point seven or ten point eight yards per target, and he's actually lower than that this season. Uh, at like 10.4, I think, uh, which again is leading all tight ends in the NFL. Like last year, he was fifth in the NFL overall. Yeah. Like we're including every player in the NFL. Right. Fifth overall. Well, I guess with a minimum number of targets um, in yards per target, at, like I said, at 10.8. We're talking about players that like include Stefan Diggs, for example. Like all these guys that are like deep down the field threats that are going to have you know higher yards per target because they hit on huge plays. In this game, you know, eight catches, hundred for hundred yards, one touchdown on nine targets. Just kind of like a you know every day at the at the at the office kind of day for for him. He's on pace for eleven hundred receiving yards this year. Um, back in training camp, I remember saying some of the effect of like 
if he if he plays all 17 games or if he's healthy for all 17 games, there's no way he's not going to go over a thousand yards. And a common response to that is, oh, what's going to happen? Devontae, AJ, and Dallas are all going to get over a thousand yards. Yeah, maybe. Like that might absolutely well, happen. And and uh Devontae's the one that's kind of falling a little short of that yeah. right now. Uh certainly AJ Brown's going to go over a thousand yards mm-hmm. if he doesn't get hurt. And uh, I think that Dallas Goddard is highly, highly likely to do that as well uh, at this point, even after like kind of a, I don't want to call it a slow start, but statistically he wasn't lighting it up uh, early in the season. But I think um, the Eagles realize that, you know, he's kind of uh, every bit the go-to guy that AJ Brown is. And I think he's a guy that they're going to lean on heavily uh, as the season progresses uh, on third down situations Mm -hmm. where they have to move the sticks. He's kind of like he has kind of evolved into um, sort of like a Zach Ertz kind of player, but who can also block. Absolutely. Um, Goddard is tied for 39th in yards per reception among all NFL players. So, yeah, most of those people ahead of him are wide receivers. The only tight end ahead of him is TJ Hawkinson, who's at 15.2. And Hawkinson had this, I didn't realize this, he had this monster game. That's yards per catch, you said? Yeah, yards per reception. Yes, yeah. Okay. So yeah. yeah, Goddard is tied for 39th. Um, every player ahead of him is a wide receiver, except for TJ Hawkinson, mm-hmm. who was actually 14th at 15.2. But Hawkinson um, mm-hmm. had this crazy game, the Seahawks, that I didn't even realize he had. He had eight receptions for 179 yards. That's 22.38. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, that's a crazy number. Uh, I guess he just had some really long... I don't know. I didn't see that game. But the point being, um, outside of that kind of... You didn't see the Lions-Seahawks no, game? No, I know. Well, it was How actually a game. What kind of football fan are you? Uh, 48 <laughs> to 45, the score on that one. But uh, so, whatever. And, and Hawkinson clearly isn't a better oh, player. That's right. That was kind of a crazy game. I forgot about that game. He, he wasn't a, he's not a better player than Goddard. I mean, he's, an, he's a fine player. Um, no. Not really scared that the Vikings have him now. But yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah just to highlight like, kind of how crazy it is that Goddard has... Those numbers, AJ Brown, kind of a ho hum, like four for fifty nine and one touchdown. Like, yeah, you know, whatever. He had three touchdowns last week. This week, like, just very easily uh, helped the Eagles move the chains at some points. Had a big touchdown. Mm-hmm. Um, Quez Watkins had his first uh, positive receiving yardage since I believe. What did I have it down here? I wrote this down because he hadn't had. He had like a catch. I think Cardinals in, maybe. Uh, yeah, week gain yards for the first time since week five. Yes. Uh, it was the second highest receiving total of the season, um, despite the fact he played his third lowest snap percentage. Uh, I wanted to touch on Devontae mm-hmm. real quick because I think that's worth talking about. Not Again, not concerned about him. Uh, he had two targets for two receptions and 22 yards, although it was, <laughs> the, the long was 22 yards. Uh, he had another catch for no gain. So um, uh, he's averaging just 38.6 yards per game since he had that mm-hmm. massive blow up in week three, the 169 yard performance against the commanders. I mean, I think it's just hard right. to dominate the volume when you have, you know, Goddard and AJ Brown here. I don't really think that like speaks to Devontae Smith struggling by any means. It's just, there's other such high quality targets here. And like, that's something that's easier probably for Devontae Smith to live with, with the team winning. You know, it's, it's another thing if they're losing and, you know, personalities get involved. And it's also another thing where Devontae Smith is in the second year of his career. He's not like playing in a contract season. Um, so, but those are, I, I guess, something to think about long-term, you know, is uh, do do all these guys stay happy? Yeah, I think they got to find a way to get Devontae more yeah. targets. <laughs> like, even, And it's kind of a weird thing to say too, because the offense has been so awesome. So to, to kind of make any kind of statement, like they have to do this or they have to do that or whatever. Um, 
everything's working right now, so they don't really have to do anything. But I do think there is value in keeping some players happy. And then in the case of Quez, it's good to just kind of keep him involved mm-hmm. in some way because at some point, if somebody goes down, you will need him to be the number sure. two receiver. Um, yeah, I mean, when you so Devontae had two targets, and I know it's not as simple as just like taking targets from other people and reassigning them to him. But at some level, it is like at to some extent, it is. And uh, Kenneth Gainwell, Jack Stoll, and Zach Pascal combined for six targets. And if you want to throw Quez in there, it's eight. While Devontae only had two. So mm-hmm. you know, maybe maybe we could do a little bit better job of. Uh, and, and again, I know there's different factors here, different reads in the progression, whatever. Uh, but yeah, it does feel like he, he, sh- he shouldn't be only getting targeted twice a game. He needs a little bit more than that. Um, and I'm sure he'll be fine. I'm, I, I bet you he's going to have another big game coming up here at some point, especially as a defense tries to maybe focus more attention on Goddard and or Brown and Devontae Smith will get some opportunities. I'm not really worried about him at all. I just think it is worth highlighting that, you know, hasn't been a very productive run for him uh, in a bit. So uh, I think that's all I had on the offense. Did you have anything else? Well, yeah, I have one thing. So Jordan Mailata got beat for a couple sacks. Um, one drive in particular, which was a three and out, he got beat for two sacks, um, both by Jerry Hughes, who's more of a speed guy than he is a power guy. And if there's you know a negative to Jordan Mailata's game, it's that he is maybe a little susceptible to guys with speed that can beat him around the edge. Uh, whereas power rushers aren't going to beat him. Like you can't, you're not running through Jordan Mailata, you try to go through him. It's basically like running into a brick wall. So um, what is your level of concern with him? I mean, I don't think he's playing. I don't think he's like taking a leap from last year to this year. And I think injury is probably involved in there. Um, Not super concerned that he's going to be a liability, but uh, I don't think he's a set it and forget it kind of player right now, the way certainly someone like Lane Johnson is. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nick Sirianni, I guess, during a press conference, I guess, uh, excused uh, Jordan Mailata of some blame for his sacks allowed. I forget exactly what his explanation was, but basically like the timing of the pass protection didn't match up with the routes that were being run down the field. And he put him in a position where um, it was, you know, he was more likely to give up a sack than he would have if the protection were more in sync with what was happening down the field, something like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's maybe something to that. Nick Sirianni had previously taken uh, some of the blame for the short screen pass that they threw to Kenny Gainwell that went off mm-hmm. his hands and then into the hands of a defender against the Vikings. The Vikings that was the yeah, first the, interception uh, this year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, on uh, the night game there. So, um I credit Nick Sirianni sure. for um, taking the blame for for those kinds of plays, and um, he also mentioned that Jordan Mailata was really beating himself mm-hmm. up uh, over those two sacks allowed, which also you like sure. to see. You don't like players to be content with um, you know having bad plays or bad games or whatever. So that's good to see as well. But uh, was worth mentioning that he did get beat, frankly, by cleanly uh, by uh, Jerry Hughes uh, in that game. Yeah. So. Uh, maybe something to watch. Yeah, and for. I think Milata didn't have his best game. I think it was in his first game back from injury against the Cowboys. Like I don't think mm-hmm. he was, and, and it's a tough defense. I get it, but still. Then even against the Steelers, I thought he had some moments where he kind of got got a little bit. So yeah, uh, not to the extent where again he's a liability, but it's to the point where it's not like he's all pro caliber, or Pro Bowl caliber player right now. The way he's playing right at this level. So um, if we're talking about concern level one to ten, maybe like a four. Um, you know, yeah. Okay. 
think that's okay. Uh, so that's it, right? Nothing else. No, we'll come back uh, later in the week and we'll preview Eagles Commanders. Yep. The Carson Wentz list. Uh, Washington Commanders will give our NFC East and Saints picks and all that good stuff. So, uh, yeah, I think that's it for the uh, for the day here. You want to wrap us up? Monday Night Football, uh, Eagles Commanders, where they try to go 9-0. and uh, Hopefully the Phillies will have come back from <laughs> being down 3-2 to in the World Series and, and win um, by the next time we podcast. Would really appreciate that. Also, hopefully the Philadelphia Union. They're playing Jimmy in, like, I think two hours here from when we're recording this on Saturday for the MLS okay. Cup Final. So why not? I uh, hope they win as well. Um, they're... Did you see the interview with the uh, L.A. Yeah, I did. soccer player? I did see that, where they were asking him. <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny. The reporter is asking him, like, yeah, so what do you think? You know, there's a lot of good stuff going on in Philly right now. And he's like, uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was very confused by the line of questioning. They were like, the, the Eagles are 8-0. No, the Phillies are in the World Series. It's got to be a really exciting right. time to, to be playing in Philadelphia. And the guy didn't know what the hell he was talking about. He was like, uh, "Well, I guess he could have." And then he, uh, yeah, the guy had to repeat the question. Right. And he, the, the soccer player was being very sure. polite about it. He really just didn't just know what confused. he was talking yeah. about. And finally, the player was like, "He was like, I, I don't, I don't play for Philly." <laughs> uh, so I guess those guys, yeah. maybe it's exciting. I don't know, but I don't play for Philly. So I yeah, I guess that's part of why he might have been confused. <laughs> is maybe he was thinking like the, the reporter was trying to get at like it, maybe it's a tough place to play right now because, but it's like also no. I think the reporter just didn't know. He no, I, for, I he no, I knew. Yes, I agree. But I'm saying like maybe the player was like thinking that like maybe it's tough to play this team <laughs> okay, because like yeah, there's a lot yeah, of juice yeah. in the city and they're feeling a lot of support. Like maybe he's like, <laughs> yeah. but like it still didn't make sense like why he'd be asked about that. So yeah, uh, I agree. It was funny. <laughs> Um, all right. This has been BGN Radio with uh brought to you by our presenting sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. Go download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today. Um, stay tuned for our same game parlays that we'll have for next week's Eagles game against the Commanders that we alluded to. Uh, as they try to go nine and zero, they're eight and zero, Jimmy, for the first time in franchise history. Didn't even mention that, I don't think, but pretty incredible. Uh, we'll see if they can get to nine and zero. Um. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon Gowton, Jimmy Kemsky on Twitter and Instagram at Jimmy Kemsky at BGN underscore radio at bleeding green. Uh, you can check out the sponsors of this podcast, right to sell and craft jerky by going to right to sell discount code BGN 15 for 15% off or Kristen Roach of Roach Realtors at Roach Realtors.com or this phone number. 856-906-9295. If you're looking to buy, sell, or rent a house, we will be back with you all next week. Goodbye, everybody. P-G-N. <laughs>